Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, a man that loves fast cars and guitars. He is the captain. Out of my way when you see me driving my Pinto. It's good to be seen and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight we are drinking Demon Dweller by Green Man Brewery, garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Demon Dweller is an imperial stout that is dark, sweet, and chocolatey. It's cunningly smooth, Captain. It's yum. Don't be afraid of the dark. And this week's beer was brought to us by these smooth criminals. First up, we have Gabe B. in Portland, Oregon, and we have Josie in Denham Springs, Louisiana. Next up, we have Gavin from South Portland, donated to the beer front from Maine. It's close. <laughs> close enough. Here's a cheers to Rayan in Arveda, Colorado. And a big we like your jib to Jackie in Houston, Texas. And let's give a double cheers to Malls in Alex in Davenport, Iowa. And last but not least, we have Kirsten from South Jersey. So cheers to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's show. If you want to help us out with next week's shows, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And a reminder, all of our episodes are now available from from the first episode to now is available for free on the Stitcher app. And join in the conversation at our blog at truecrimegarage.com. All right, gather around. Grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The first contact from the BTK Strangler was made in October 1974. 
Early in the morning on the 22nd, the phone rang at the Otero murder hotline that was set up by the two major newspapers. The caller didn't say much and he sounded angry. He told the newsman, listen and listen good because I'm not going to repeat it. He said the man that had killed the Oteros stuck a letter in a mechanical engineering textbook on the second floor of the Wichita Public Library. Then he hung up the phone. The police were notified. The letter was located. The letter was addressed to the Wichita Eagle and Beacon Secret Witness Program. Under the Secret Witness Program, persons with information concerning a crime could pass on information to the police through the newspaper without divulging their identity. The poorly typed and badly misspelled letter provided details on the four Otero slayings that the police said at the time could only have been known to someone who had been present at the scene. The letter read, I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. Those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put this straight. Joe, position, southwest bedroom, feet tied to bed. Bondage, window blind cord. Garot, blind cord, brown belt. Death, the old bag trick, and strangled with clothesline rope. Clothes, white sweatshirt, gray pants. Comments, he threw up at one time, had a rib injury from a wreck few weeks before. Julie, position lying on her back on the bed. Bondage, blind cord. Garot, clothesline cord tied in a clove hitch. Death, strangulation twice. Clothes, blue house coat, black slack, white sock. Comments, blood on face from too much pressure on neck, bed unmade. Josephine, position, hanging by the neck in the northwest position of the basement, dryer or freezer north of her body, bondage, hand tie with blind cord, feet and knees all with clothesline cord, all one length, garrot, rough hemp rope, noose with four or five turns. Clothes, dark bra, cut in the middle, sock. Death, strangulation once, hung. Comments, most of her clothes at the bottom of the stairs. Her glasses in the southwest bedroom. Joseph, position in east bedroom, lying on his back. Bondage, blind cord, garrot, three hoods. White t-shirt, white plastic bag, another t-shirt. Clothesline cord with clove hitch. Death, suffocation once. Strangulation, suffocation with the old bag trick. Clothes, brown pants, yellow brown striped t-shirt. Comments, his radio is blaring. All victims had their hands tied behind their backs. Gags of pillowcase material. Purse contents south of the table. Spilled drink in that area also. Kids making lunches. Otero's watch missing. I needed one, so I took it. Runs good. Car was dirty inside. Out of gas.
I'm sorry this happened to society. They are the ones who suffer the most. It hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. When this monster enter my brain, I will never know, but it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it. So the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams of some victims being tortured and being mine. It a big complicated game, my friend, of the monster play putting victims number down. Follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great and sometime he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know, but it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guiltily. P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them, B-T-K. You see he added again. They will be on the next victim. When Dennis Rader killed the Oteros and their two children, he was unemployed and attending classes at Wichita State. In November of 1974, Dennis was hired at ADT Security, which at the time sold and installed commercial-grade alarms. It might have been this job that kept him busy. Maybe it was his home life. Regardless, something was happening, and thank God that it did because BTK was just too busy to go out and kill. In fact, there would be three years before he would kill again. The killer claimed responsibility for the murders of the four Otero family members and gave himself a name, BTK. But one thing he had yet to disclose, and one thing that police were yet to connect to the BTK strangler, Mm -hmm. is that he had committed another murder shortly after killing the Oteros. And this is one that BTK called Project Lights Out. Catherine Doreen Bright was one of five children in her family. She was born on February 24th, 1953. She loved singing in the church with her sister. She had graduated from high school in 1971. Now, in 1974, she was 21 years old. Catherine was a smart, popular, and funny college student, and she worked for the Coleman Company. Catherine and her sister shared a house that they rented together. Now, on the morning of April 4th, 1979, Dennis Rader, who had been watching the house and who had targeted his next victim, picked her because she was attractive and no men lived with her. Mm -hmm. And she did not have a dog. 
You know, these were problems that he ran into during the Otero crimes. Yeah, and on that morning, he's going to break into a kitchen window to gain access to the house. And he knew at this time that the house would be empty, which uh, this was good for him because he needed time to prep the home for murder. But he didn't he didn't just want to kill Catherine Bright. He wanted to play with her first, and he brought with him plenty of ropes and cords to play with. While he waited for her to return, he laid out ropes and cords on her bed. He used a broom to carefully sweep up the broken glass, and he was wearing gloves and a green parka. He took a stocking cap and pulled it down to cover his face, and he brought with him a gun, his twenty two. Now, he was ready, and all he needed was for his victim to return to her home and find him. At this moment, he was no longer Dennis, no longer the ordinary man that led an ordinary, unremarkable life. In this moment, he was the killer that haunted Wichita, the phantom that the whole city feared. He was BTK. Well, and when she returned, she's... She's going to return home, but she's not going to be alone. Yeah, with her was her 19-year-old brother, Kevin. When they walked in, they were very quickly greeted by a man in a mask with a gun. The man told them that he was a convict, and he just needed something to make his way to California. If they cooperated, they would not be hurt. He just needed some money, some food, and the car keys, and he was going to need to tie them up to make sure that he had enough time to get away. He had Kevin tie up Catherine, and then BTK tied up Kevin. BTK took Catherine to her bedroom where he had prepped the room with his ropes and a chair. He tied Catherine to the chair. Then he returned to the room where he had left Kevin. He put a rope around his neck. Now, Kevin realizes at this moment that the man had lied to them, that the man was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So he started twisting his hands and his arms until the bindings gave way. Kevin jumped to his feet and the masked man grabbed his gun and put it to Kevin's forehead and pulled the trigger. Kevin fell to the floor, but he was not dead. Amazingly enough, he was not dead. He had been knocked out. And when he came to, he could hear his sister in the other room screaming. He got up and he charged into the other room. The man saw him coming and again reached for his gun, but before he could take aim, Kevin pried the gun from the man's hand. Kevin took the gun and shoved the barrel into the man's chest and he pulled the trigger. The assailant managed to wedge his thumb between the gun and the hammer, preventing it from firing. The man pulled the gun from Kevin and put it to Kevin's mouth and pulled the trigger. The gun fired and Kevin once again hit the floor. BTK once again turned his attention to Catherine. Kevin was still not dead. When the gun was fired into Kevin's face, the bullet had actually ricocheted off of his teeth leaving Kevin a bloody mess and knocked out, but not dead. It probably only knocked him out for a few minutes. And when he came to, he decided this time, instead of trying to fight off the attacker, he was going to take his chances and run for help. Kevin flew out the front door of the home, running full speed and yelling at the top of his lungs. A man driving by stopped and Kevin jumped in his car. The man drove him to the nearest phone and they called the police. The call. A robbery in progress at a home on East 13th Street. The robber was trying to kill two people and was still in the home. A police officer is going to be on the scene within 15 minutes of Kevin leaving the home. When the officer arrived, the front door to the home was wide open and the officer went in. He found Catherine in the front room 
lying on her side in a puddle of blood. A phone was next to her. She had tried to call for help, but when the operator picked up, Catherine could not speak. Her larynx had been crushed. She could only whisper at this time. She lifted her head, but all she could say to the officer was, help me, help me. The officer radioed for an ambulance, and he knelt beside Catherine with his gun drawn as he waited for backup. His backup arrived about the same time as the ambulance. They quickly determined the man who had broke in and attacked Catherine and Kevin had fled the house. In the two bedrooms were obvious signs of a struggle. Both rooms were left in shambles and blood was smeared on the floors. Catherine had been stabbed 11 times in her torso and back. Two of the stabs had punctured her lungs. Catherine died a short while later at the hospital. Now, Kevin was a living witness. He was in the same hospital where his sister had just passed. Now, he was being treated for those two gunshots. He would survive, and he was able to tell the police about the killer. You know, he told them what the killer had told them about him going to California. Yeah. And this giving them a possible lead. Kevin described the attacker as a dark-haired man about 25 years of age, Caucasian with a pot belly, and about 5 foot 10 inches tall with a thick mustache. Now, there was some problems with this description of the attacker. Now, mm-hmm. you and I, Captain, would know years later that this description is actually a pretty good one. Right. I mean, it's a little vague, but it's a pretty good one. He got the height approximately right. He got the size of the person right. The the uh, you know the, dark-haired the, man with the thick mustache. Yeah, is the correct. mustache. The thing that he got wrong was he didn't tell him that uh, he saw a giant piece of shit. Well, because of the injuries that Kevin sustained during the the attack, mm-hmm. a lot of the police officers and, and investigators had a problem with taking him at his word. They thought that it was too traumatic of an attack and that he was probably had suffered multiple concussions. So he's just lying. No, 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 no. That he just doesn't, he doesn't remember. He's misremembering. Correct. Okay. I mean, you you have to keep in mind. Okay. But why, why? Well, for the reasons I just said that. No, no. But I mean like, so what do they think he looks like? Oh, they, no, they have no, they have nothing to go off of. But they're just for whatever reason going, well, we don't really buy that. Okay, but you you have to keep this in mind. Let's say, okay, let's say he suffered multiple concussions within right. a short period of time during this attack. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody's doubting that he that he didn't get a good look at this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy did had he, he had to dis- disguise himself a bit by pulling that cap down over his face. Now, on top of that, though, you have to worry that if if for some reason. This guy is just misremembering and mm-hmm. he gives you a bad description of this dude. If you run with this, this could really screw up your investigation. Yeah. So so to err on the side of caution, one might think, well, let's just throw this description out or keep it to ourselves, not releasing it to the public and not putting much weight yeah, into that's, what we're that's the point I was trying to get at. Like, well, if if they're not sure, then what's the big deal? Right. But, but like you said, I mean, if you give this report out, then then this could affect the whole investigation. And you don't want officers later going, well, I, I arrested this guy and I thought maybe he had something to do with that attack, but he didn't look anything like that description. So I let him go. Right. right and then right. you're like, oh, 
crap, that was our dude. Um, so we have this murder. And the strange thing about this murder is not only does BTK leave a witness, but he also does not, um, he doesn't ever claim this murder. He never, he never outwardly says, this is one that I did. And right, I want, because it's botched. Yeah. And I wonder, well, not only that it's botched, but this is the one time where we have a grown adult that might be able to identify him. Right. Therefore, we're going to see where he will claim, you know, by this point, he's already told the authorities and the police, I'm the one that did the Otero murders, but he never reaches out to them and talks to him about this one. And this one occurred just three months afterward. Yeah. But again, you have eyewitness that lived. Mm -hmm. Well, after the Catherine Bright's murder, other than his letter left at the library, the killer went silent both in words and murder. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. 
Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, me mateys. Cheers, Captain. Well, it would be three years before BTK would resurface, and during this time, Dennis and his wife had had their first child, a son that they named him Brian. Now... We talked about, we wondered why he could have gone silent. What was going, what else was going on in his world? 
We, we see the birth of his son, but mm-hmm. Dennis is also working very hard at the ADT company. And he was actually earning promotions at this job during the course of those three years. He got to the point where he was actually supervising a team of installers and salespeople. Now, the country during this time celebrated its bicentennial. Months came and went, and the city that had once feared the BTK began to forget about him. Mm-hmm. The killer had vanished, and a lot of people wondered if he had maybe even left town a long time ago. And we now know why BTK took a break, but let's go through some of the theories that law enforcement had at the time theorizing why he was on a break. Well, the two most popular, you know, like we said, it seemed like the people of the city believed that maybe he had just fled the area right, and just left altogether. Now, the police theories, one of the more popular ones is that maybe he had died in a car accident or that he was picked up on some unrelated charge and serving a prison sentence. Now, this is one that I like. This was a theory of the FBI because the Otero murders were very, it it was a, it was an infamous case. I mean, the, the investigation spanned months and years and they actually, some of the investigators traveled extensively in their investigation of the family murders. Mm Mm-hmm. So they interviewed hundreds of people when it came to the Otero murders. So one FBI agent, he had theorized that maybe that the BTK was actually one of many people that were interviewed in that, in the course of that investigation. And just that experience alone was enough to scare him away, you know, to stop him from moving forward with some of these crimes and some of these thoughts and desires of his. And it's extra strange to me because he's made contact with the public and he's said, Hey, I'm here, I'm killing people. And then it just kind of disappears. Yeah. And he also confesses to being a, you know, these are crimes of a sexual nature is what he's told us in his own words. And, you know, we, somebody we talk about a lot on this show, captain John Douglas, you know, he says from his experience, serial sexual predators don't just wake up one day and decide to turn over a new leaf and change their lives for the better. So that's why you have the FBI and you have seasoned investigators believing that something must have happened. Something must have happened to derail this killer who was going to prey on the city. But on March 17th, 1977, that's all going to change. Yeah, and this is almost three years after the murder of Catherine Bright. So the killer is going to break his silence. On that morning... In the morning hours, a little boy was returning home from an errand. He was stopped Mm. by a man he had not seen before. Now, the man had a bag with him, and he also had a photograph, and he showed the photograph to the boy and asked him if he knew either of the people in the photograph. The boy said that he didn't know them. Now, the man then walked away, and the boy was watching this man, Uh and he saw the man approach the home of his neighbor. Now, the boy then returned to his house where his mother was in her room sick and his brother and sister were still at home and they were watching TV. After about 10 minutes or so, there was a knock at the door. The boy opened the door and on the front porch was the man who had asked him earlier about the photograph. Now, the man was asking about a dog this time. He said that he had lost his dog and asked the boy if he had seen a dog running loose around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The boy says no. And then the man asked, is your mother home? Mm -hmm. 
We should ask her. The man then pushed the boy aside and walked inside the house right past the boy. And he walks over to the TV and he turns the TV off. Remember, the children are sitting there watching the TV. Right. This startles the children and they start screaming. The mother who was sick in her bedroom, she hears the commotion and she came out into the room. At this point, the man had pulled out a gun. The woman yelled at him. She wanted to know who he was. Why was she? Why was he in her home? Why does he have a gun? Why does he have a gun? Yep. And he taught, he tells her to shut up and he pointed at the bedroom and he told her to get back in there. And she says, well, what about my children? And he told her to grab a blanket and some toys. Well, she complied. He took the blanket and he lay it on the bathroom floor. And then he spread the toys out on the blanket and he ordered the children, all three of them into the bathroom. Well, they complied. The bathroom has two doors. The man put together like a, a makeshift locking mechanism of some sorts. He, he tied some rope from the doorknob to the piping underneath the sink in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And this prevented that door from being opened. Now, the man went out the other door and he pushed a bed to the outside of the door. And this prevented this door from being opened. So the three children are trapped inside this small bathroom. The man then forced the mother to strip. Then he took some tape out of his bag and he began to bind the mother. He taped her hands together behind her back and he laid her down on the bed face down. He put a rope around her neck and a plastic bag over her head. Sometime later, the children began to break free from their confinement in this bathroom. One of the boys kicked through the bottom portion of one of the doors. This was the door that was tied to the pipes. Yeah. When he busted free, he found his mother laying lifeless on her bed. The boy ran outside into the front porch of a neighbor's house where he pounded on the front door. The neighbor answered and the boy screamed to the neighbor that he needed help, telling him that his mommy was dead. So then the police were called. Well, paramedics arrived on the scene first and they actually went in and they cut the bindings around the woman's arms and legs. And it was a smaller bedroom. So they carried her into the living room area and they tried to revive the woman there. Now she had only been dead a very, very short period of time. So they thought they could bring her back. However, they were unable to do so. Now the police questioned the children. They wanted to know what had happened. What had they seen? And the children told them that the killer was a dark haired white man in his late thirties or forties with a pot belly on March 17th, 1977 serial killer BTK killed Shirley Vianne in her home while her children were locked in the bathroom. Now, many, many years later, it was surmised that the man, the BTK that was walking around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. that the photo that the man had shown the boy was actually a photograph of a neighbor woman and her son. This was also the home that the man had approached after talking to the boy. The intended target was the young mother who had regularly returned home from work during her lunch break, but not on this day for whatever reason. Right. And when she was not home, 
You know, he knocks on the door. No one answers the door. Nobody's home. He's too charged up. He's ready to murder. And the only way that this feeling was going to go away for him was to kill somebody. Right. The factor X. Yes. So that's why when his target was not there, he shifted gears and he went to, he went to the home where he saw the little boy go inside because he knew somebody was home there. Yeah. But you know, can you imagine what that kid's gone through with his life? I mean, one, he's stopped by this killer. He doesn't know he's a killer. Right. To ask a simple question about a dog. He answers and goes back home Mm -hmm. and his mom's sick in bed. The kids aren't sick. The mom's sick, but that's why they're not at school. This guy knocks on the door. You answer. He says, well, let me talk to your mom. Mm -hmm. And he walks right in the house. Look, when you're a kid, if an adult would have walked in the house, you you probably just would have froze. Yeah. I don't know this person. What are they doing? And, you know, they turn it off, turn off the TV, and then your mom comes out, and now you're stuck in the bathroom, and you're trying to get out. you got to get through that rope, and then you have to kick through the door, and then you run to go get help, and then paramedic, pe- paramedics almost are able to uh, save your mother, and you would have to contemplate for a long time that, well, not saying that you'd have to, but you would. You would think, maybe I could have done something to save her, or well, maybe I could have got through there faster, you know? Well, and it's depressingly strange how some small events that seem so meaningless in their moment how they shift the gears of our lives and the others around us. I mean, you talk about had, had the mother not decided to keep the children home from school that day, you know, she didn't send them off to school because she was too sick to get them ready for the day and take them to school. These were small children. It's the butterfly effect. Yeah. And so had her little boy not been walking the neighborhood, he would have never been approached by that man, by BTK. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe BTK would have been forced to go to another street or to call it off completely if he had no alternative victim, let's say. So it's it's depressingly strange how these tiny little moments shift the gears of everything. The other thought, too, here, Captain, is the scary thought that there was another targeted victim. That, that he that there was somebody else that he was watching and he was so worked up by this point that he couldn't stop himself. He had to kill somebody. This mm-hmm. was the moment for him and he was going to make that happen even though his target was not available. And, and then you also wonder how long he was stalking this person. Yeah, and I get the feeling. Well, I don't get the feeling. I, I know for a fact. I just don't know who these other potential victims would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure law enforcement knows this and I'm sure FBI might know this because BTK kept extensive notes. Okay. And he called each one of these little things. He called a project. It had a project and a nickname. And usually in the notes, he would refer to it as PJ something. Mm -hmm. So like for, we talked about, uh, Catherine Bright's murder, right? Well, she was project lights out. And the next project that he had, because he fancied himself some kind of, uh, like he was conducting these secret missions. Mm -hmm. He's spying on these people. He's taking notes about their activities and their lifestyle, their comings and goings. And his secret mission is to break into their home and terrorize them and kill them. Yeah. And so the next project that he had, he referred to this as Project Foxy. 
And this would be Nancy Joe Fox. She was 25 years old. She was a smart, hardworking woman. She had a good sense of humor. She worked days full-time as a secretary for a construction business. And at nights, she worked at a jewelry store. So this was a busy, young, professional woman. A neighbor described Fox as a loner who seldom entertained friends. On December 9th, a call came in. She's so busy working. Well, working two jobs, Yeah. yeah. On December 9th, a call came in from a payphone. The caller told the dispatcher, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox. Now, I'm sorry, sir, said the dispatcher. I can't understand you. Mm -hmm. What is the address? At that point, another dispatcher who had been monitoring the call interrupted and said, I believe he said 843 South Pershing. That is correct, the man said, and then he hung up the phone. At 8.30 a.m., police arrived at the address given by the unknown caller. They discovered a back window to the home had been shattered. The phone line to the house had been cut. The front door was unlocked. They entered the home. In the master bedroom, the police found the half-naked dead body of 25-year-old Nancy Fox. She was lying on the bed. A nylon stocking was used to tie her wrist behind her back. Her panties were pulled down to her knees. A nightgown had been tied around her ankles, and she had been dead for quite some time, probably hours. Now, some portions of her body had turned black by the time she was found. She had been gagged with pantyhose. Blood was dried around her nose and mouth. Pantyhose had been tied around her neck. The killer had dumped Nancy's purse on the coffee table in the living room, and her driver's license was missing. Semen was found on a blue nightgown that was found on the floor near the foot of her bed. The victim had not been raped. There were, they were able to find partial fingerprints and a partial palm print on her body. However, these would not be sufficient enough to find a match. Mm. Police theorized the killer had broke into the home through the broken window, perhaps before Nancy had returned home the previous evening. He turned up the heat to make, to make up for the cold air that was coming through the broken window. He threatened her, bound her, killed her, masturbated near her body, then posed the body, possibly taking photos of her. He then dumped out her purse, keeping her driver's license as a souvenir. He rummaged through her dresser drawers, probably taking some of her undergarments with him. He then left the home, and at around 8 a.m. the next morning, he drove to a payphone and called in the homicide. Now, the phone call only lasted seven seconds. The phone call was recorded, and it was played over and over on the local news channels during their broadcast. The police were hoping someone, anyone, would recognize the voice Someone had to know who this killer was. This audio clip is very distorted, but keep in mind it is from 1977. That is correct. It's like he's trying to be a robot or something. Maybe he was doing some kind of weird cadence because if you notice, like every everything he is saying is kind of like this. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's doing that on purpose. 
but I don't think this clip generated any leads. Right, and and the audio quality may be so bad that it's just it sounds distorted anyway. Um, but like you said, this was played on the news and it didn't really generate any leads of any value. Mm-hmm. If they did get any calls regarding this, you know, these could be crackpot calls of people calling in saying this sounds like my evil stepfather, you know, things like that of that nature. But it was on the last day of January 1978 that the killer sent a Valentine to the local newspaper. This would be almost two months after the murder. and that, But that's not going to be made public. No, and because of that reason, on February 10th of 1978, a letter was sent as well to KAKE TV Network with a hand-drawn picture of a woman tied up, gagged, and lying face down on a bed. Mm-hmm. The letter would later become known as the Fox Letter. Right, so we have the Fox phone call, and now we have the Fox Letter. But these are, I mean, he, his writing is as bad as my speaking. Well, it could be, or it could be done on purpose. Right. So there's some thought that if you, okay, if you break up your words and if you break up your sentences, that, that they are able to tell, the experts are able to tell less about you. There are some people that are of the belief that by using certain words and choosing certain words in the way that you arrange them in sentences that they mm-hmm. might be able to judge and tell things about your personality. So one thing that people have always taken a guess at here when it comes to BTK, was he just stupid? Like the way that his words sound on paper, no, you stupid, or you stupid, or was he smart enough that he did this on purpose so that he wasn't showing his full hand, so to speak. The typed photocopied letter that they received, known as the Fox letter, reads as follows. I find the newspaper not writing about the poem on vain unamusing. A little paragraph would have enough. I know it not the media fault. The police chief, he keeps things quiet and doesn't let the public know. They're a psycho running around loose, strangling mostly women. There are seven in the ground. Who will be next? How many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? Do the cop think that all those deaths are not related? Golly gee, yes, the MO is different in each, but look, a pattern is developing. The victims are tie up. Most have been women. Phone cut. Bring some bondage, sadist matter tendencies. No struggle. Outside the death spot, no witnesses except the Vane's kids. They were very lucky. A phone call saved them. I was going to tape the boys and put plastic bag over their head like I did Joseph and Shirley. And then hang the girl. God. What a beautiful sexual release that would been. Josephine, when I hung her, that really turned me on. Her plead for mercy, then the rope took hold, she helpless. Staring at me with wide terror-filled eyes. The rope getting tighter. Tighter. You don't understand these things because you are not under the influence of Factor X. The same thing that made Son of Sam, Jack the Ripper, Harvey Glattman, Boston Strangler, 
Dr. H.H. Holmes, Pantyhose Strangler of Florida, Hillside Strangler, Ted of the West Coast, and many more infamous character kill, which seems senseless, but we cannot help it. There is no help, no cure, except death or being caught and put away. It a terrible nightmare, but you see, I don't lose any sleep over it. After a thing like Fox, I go home and I go about life like anyone else. And I will be like that until the urge hit me again. It not continuous and I don't have a lot of time. It take time to set a kill and one mistake it all over. Since I about blew it on the phone, handwriting is out. Letter guide is too long and typewriter can be traced too. My short poem of death and maybe a drawing. Later on, maybe a real picture and a tape of the sound will come your way. How will you know me? Before a murder or murders, you will receive a copy of the initials BTK. You keep that copy. The original will show up someday on Guess Who. May you not be the unlucky one. P.S. How about some name for me? It's time. Seven down and many more to go. I like the following. How about you? The BTK Strangler. Wichita Strangler, Poetic Strangler, The Bondage Strangler, or Psycho, The Wichita Hangman, The Wichita Executioner, The Garot Phantom, The Asphyxiator. Number five, you guess motive and victim. Number six, you found one Shirley Vane laying belly down on unmade bed in Northeast Bedroom hand tied behind back with black tape and cord, feet and ankles with black tape and legs, ankles tied to west head of the bed with a small off-white cord, wrapped around legs, arms, and neck many times, a plastic bag over her head with a pink nightie on, barefooted. She was sick. Use a glass of water and smoke one or two cigarettes house a total mess kids took some toys with them to the bathroom bed against east bathroom door chose at random with some pre-planning motive factor x number seven one nancy fox lying belly down on made bed in southwest bedroom hands tied behind back with red pantyhose feet together with yellow nighty semi-nude with pink sweater and bra panties below butt she had a smoke and went to the bathroom before the final act very neat housekeeper and dresser rifled purse in kitchen empty paper bag white coat in living room heat up to about 90 degrees christmas tree lights on hosiery on bed driver's license gone Seminal stain on or in blue women underwear. Chose at random with little pre-planning. Motive? Factor X. Number 8. Next victim maybe. 
you will find hanging with a wire noose, hands behind back with black taper cord, gagged, then cord around the body to the neck, hooded maybe, will be chosen at random with some pre-planning. Motive, Factor X. Enclosed was a poem titled, O Death to Nancy. Oh, what is this that I can see? Cold icy hands taking hold of me. For death has come, you can see. Hell has opened its gate to trick me. Oh, death, oh, death, can't you spare me? Over for another year? I'll stuff your jaws until you can't talk. I'll bind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can't make a stand. And finally, I close your eyes so you can't see. I'll bring sexual death unto you for me. All right, Captain, before we leave, before we take off for CrimeCon... Yeah. I'm leaving to crime con on. I'm leaving tonight. I'm going I'm traveling by way of hot air balloon, so mm-hmm. it will take me a little longer. Wanna drop you a little I'm, I'm recommended tra- reading before we go. I'm traveling by foot. Here you go. This week we are recommending Love and Death in the Sunshine State, the story of a crime by Cutter Wood. And this story starts off when a stolen car is recovered on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and it sets off a search for a missing woman. Now there are three men that are named as persons of interest. And this is her husband, her boyfriend, and the man who stole the car. This is this is a mystery that's going to keep you guessing. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend Love and Death in the Sunshine State. And you don't have to write that title down now because you can go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the recommended page, and you will find that title amongst others there. Also on truecrimegarage.com, you can check out our store page. We have the pre-orders going on right now for the Team Nick tanks the team captain tanks the skull logo tanks the douche canoe tanks and the nice jib tanks so it's a tank top sale and don't forget to check out our sponsors support the people that support the garage all right see you guys after crime con and until then be good be kind and don't litter They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.